Welcome back to Common Fan Commentary. I'm your host, Adam, joined by my friend here, Ronnie. Hey, how's it going, guys? Glad to be back for another week. And today, we are not just covering European football, but with the start of American football, we are going to talk about college, NFL, getting prepped for that. So excited for it to be back. It's good. It's just good to see all sports back, to be honest. It, it's been a rough, rough time being indoors and honestly not watching any live sports. So it's good to see everything coming back. Yeah, I'm excited, man. It's it's always nice turning on the TV and having either, you know, the Stars playing or the bubble playoffs going on. And college football starts up. I mean, it's already started, but at least A&M starts up in a few weeks. So I'm pumped. And with the college football season starting up this past weekend, outside of the Power Five, Power Five starts up this next weekend. So first play of the season, Austin P versus Central Arkansas. 75-yard touchdown run. You know, what a way to start off. It, it spells good things. The rest of the game wasn't nearly as exciting as the first play was, but at least they had that highlight. I thought, honestly, when I turned on the TV and I saw this game, I'm going to be honest with you, I thought it was a high school game. <laughs> These two teams I'm not aware of, didn't really know who they are. But hey, college football is college football. It's exciting to, again, just to turn on the TV and have something to watch occasionally. It doesn't hurt. So with the start of the college football season, the pre-rankings have come out. I've never been a fan of the top 25 pre-rankings because they always overrate one conference over another, or they leave out teams that did really well last season. So it seems kind of random on how which teams they put in the preseason top 25. I feel like when they rate the top 25, they shouldn't even release that until after week one, until they get a good grasp of that point when they vote on it. They're just guessing, right? You don't know the strength of any teams. We're going to cover who we think is overhyped and underhyped. Who's a team that you have that's overhyped in the college football rankings? Being a part of the Aggie family, I have to say uh, Texas is always overhyped. Longhorn Network. I just think it's part of their culture at this point, just for everyone to be like, man, they're going to, Texas is back. That phrase happens once a year, every start of the season. Who do you think? I would have to agree with Texas. 14 is a little generous for the AP top 25, considering they have lost four games every single year in the past, what, five years. I think that is being a little generous to them. They do have... A lot of returning starters, but I don't see them finishing at 14. A team that's also criminally overrated is UCF. Now, they have put out some great football teams in the years past. I've never seen them as title contenders because of the talent they play. They never really challenge teams until it's bowl season. I think putting them in the top 21, they're going to make their case again for being gifted the national championship. It's like, no, you still have to play the best teams in the, in the nation to deserve that championship. Even if they do go undefeated, would you consider them champions? And I wouldn't, right? The best team they play, Memphis and Houston. They don't touch a top 25 team until maybe someone like Cincinnati. Only one top 25 matchup slated for your schedule isn't very deserving of title competition. So you get into the top four and you're playing Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma in the college football playoffs, then you know you can really start putting yourself on that same platform with the other teams where you could be title contender year in, year out, but just because you're going undefeated and you're playing weaker D one teams, all of a sudden doesn't make you we deserve a shot at the natty because we're undefeated. No, like I just believe there's a reason they made the college playoffs. You've got to work your way into the top four. And if you want to be in the top four, maybe switch up your schedule a little bit. See if some teams, some bigger teams want to play against you in your non-conference games, you know? Their in-conference games aren't a good enough body of work for them to be ever be top. It's going to take them playing stronger teams. However they do that, I, I don't really know. Since, like you mentioned, non-conference teams might not want to play against the likes of UCF, right? Another way is just in those bowl games, right? Just making sure you're winning your bowl games and maybe occasionally you'll get that recognition you want from the AP pool. But I think they're just in a tough spot conference-wise. 
that that kind of just does them in compared to you know if they were in the SEC or the Big Ten, whatever it may be. Who would you see as a underrated team this year? It's really hard to say just because you know some conferences haven't, some conferences are playing, some announce that they're not playing. Um, I guess I would have to go with the likes of uh, Florida. They went 11 and two last year. They've always been a decent team, right? But I think they kind of found a resurgence last season. They played really well in their bowl game. They might, they might be able to take, you know, sneak through the SEC. Might make a run for it. They do have two really big games to build that body of work if they want to remain in the top four at the end of the season. They have to play both LSU and Georgia. Outside of those two games, they have a solid chance. They have a lot of returning players. After going eleven and two, I don't, I don't see them losing that role. Can you beat the contender who comes out of the SEC West? Hard to say. I do think Florida could make a good run at it. Baylor Bears, I gotta say, they're not getting enough love, even with coaching switch up of Dave Miranda's staff. I'm excited to watch that team. They do have brand new defense. They're only returning one starter on defense. But their offense is full of veteran leadership, and I think they have the talent to make another run at the Big 12 title game like they did last year. There was news that the Big 10 could potentially start playing football during Thanksgiving weekend. Do you think a late start or a start that late could affect your potential AP placements? Really, just the playoffs in the in next February. Do you think that could take a big effect on just college football as a whole because they're starting late compared to maybe other conferences? Oh, most definitely. How do you judge a team? Let's say they do start Thanksgiving weekend, which would be two months after everyone else starts. So most teams will get eight, nine games in. How are you supposed to rank teams? How do you say, well, Ohio State is better than, how do you say, well, Oklahoma State has seven wins, Ohio State is still planning on playing in November? How do we judge that? How do you say one's ranked over another? Clearly, the team that's playing should be ranked over the team that's not playing. So do do we just, like, throw out the Big Ten from those talks? Or So I think there should have been some kind of discussion between conferences on action plan of do a delayed start why don't you try to delay that try to agree with that with other conferences so that you don't have this weird two-month gap with big 10 football big 10 potentially announcing thanksgiving is when they're going to start a little insane there should have been a little more communication with between conferences and agree as a whole and as a whole ncaa of when football should resume. Yeah, I just don't see it. <laughs> Period. I don't, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I just don't see it making sense. It's, it's tough to come up with a solution, and I guess that's kind of what the commissioner is dealing with, right? With all these different conferences, some playing, some are not, some having a late start. I don't, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm interested to see for sure. It does mean that the football season will be longer. I guess, but at what cost? Speaking of the delayed stoppage, we have big-name players that are opting out their junior or senior years so that they can prepare for the draft. You have players like wide receiver Jamar Chase from LSU, Georgia transfer quarterback from Wake Forest. You have Sage Surratt from Wake Forest as well, coming off a 1,000-yard season. You have Kerry Vincent from LSU who is their starting nickel during their championship run. Kennedy Brooks from Oklahoma, second leading rusher last season. Are these players right to opt out of their season, or do they owe it to their school to play? These players are adults. Yeah, they might be in college, but they are the athletes. They should have the ability to make that decision themselves, especially on a year that isn't like any other year in college football. So if they want to opt out to prepare for the draft or whatever that next step may be for them, I totally understand and I kind of support that. I don't really think they don't get paid by the schools. I, I believe that they have the right, especially with how strange of a year slash football season it is this year. When it comes to players opting out in general, I think if it's for a reason of keeping your family safe, you have to take that no matter what. As you mentioned, these kids don't get paid for their time. 
if they were to play in this season and they're trying to go to the draft next season and something happens where they get sick or that could really affect their potential job. And that's a huge risk to take. So I totally understand players opting out in general, specifically this college football stars. I totally get it. If you're trying to get a job next year where you need to be in your peak physical shape and that determines if you make a salary or you're a night, you don't even make a team, then yeah, take care of yourself. School should just thank them for their time and the service they had to that sport and try to play on without them. We got to talk about potential Heisman winners this upcoming season. Who do you think is a front runner for the Heisman? Who do you see this season? So in a vacuum, if this was a total normal season, everything starts at the same time. I would have said Justin Fields from Ohio State. He showed us last season how talented he is that Georgia made a mistake by letting him transfer. He's just so dynamic. He's so fast in the run game. He's so good in the passing game. And Ohio State has great wide receivers for him to push the ball downfield. If everything was normal, I would have said Justin Fields, easy. Carrying the tradition of running backs winning the Heisman, I would have said I would say Clemson, Travis Etienne. Their offensive line is like none other in the country. They're one of those teams that it doesn't really matter who you put back there because their O-line is just that good. You can put me back there and I'm going to get a few yards for you if you have that offensive line in front of you. I think ETN is just a freak athlete on his own. If the Big Ten doesn't have a season, I think we're definitely going to miss out on one of Justin Fields' potentially Heisman winning seasons. Other guys I'd have to say are on my watch list are Oklahoma State, Chuba Hubbard. He had almost 2,000 scrimmage yards last year. Plays on a very offensive team. Chuba is definitely up on my list as well. And then new quarterback to the OU legacy of Heisman's um, is Spencer Rattler. He's been hyped up ever since he committed, and he was officially named a starter only a couple weeks ago. I'd say Spencer Rattler just because we've already seen what Oklahoma quarterbacks can do. I feel like he's just going to carry on the tradition. He's a, he's also a freak athlete playing quarterback. I know talking about Spencer Rattler, I have to just bring back the fact that uh, he was on that uh, Netflix show, <laughs> QB1, <laughs> um, when he was playing high school ball. So I've kind of been aware of the fact that he's at OU. He was behind Kyler playing under Lincoln Riley. And just that OU offense, is it kind of shows you that really that mobile with a decent throwing arm will make you very successful there just because they have really good wide receivers. Just the offense is built really well. So I think he can make a case. Now, of course, he doesn't really have much playing time experience compared to, you know, all the other names on this list. But my favorite pick, I guess, or my number one pick for this would have to be Travis Etienne. I think at Clemson, anytime and I'm played against Clemson, even though one year was kind of close, it was just, he was just a freak of nature. The fact that Trevor Lawrence and him in the backfield for Clemson, it, it's ridiculous. He can come out of the backfield to make catches and he can just run. So I think Travis Etienne will probably be my number one pick for the Heisman this year. Yeah, I don't see Trevor Lawrence winning this year. They can go a big so early and then they're just going to run you to death the rest of the time. I feel like by volume, ETN's going to get the bulk of the plays until they get into tough competition. On the topic of football, we got the NFL coming back. NFL seems to be ready to play the full season. Who are your division winners? Who do you see winning the AFC East, Ronnie? I wouldn't go as far as saying as it's, it's wide open, right? Because Brady's gone from the Patriots. But it's definitely given the other three teams a chance to at least be in contention. I think last year, if the Bills were not a bad team. Definitely weren't the hottest team, weren't the best team, but they were they were winning games. So I would have to say they can make a run at it for winning the AFC East um, ahead of the Patriots. And I think it'd just be cool to see someone not the Patriots, you know, coming out of that division. So I'd have to go with the Bills for my pick. What about you? I think Brady leaving does help the Bills' chance for winning that division, but I don't see Josh Allen as an elite quarterback. 
made some good progress last year in terms of just based on last season and some of the throws he makes, he's. I just don't feel like he's the de- the decision maker that can take the Bills deep into the playoffs. And I'm I'm not one to doubt Bill Belichick, and I'm never ever going to write off the Patriots. Now, without Tom Brady, this is a new test for Bill Belichick. They do have Cam Newton. He is a former NFL MVP. He has had a lot of injury issues, and staying on the field has been a problem over the past few seasons. I gotta say, even though he's taking over a totally new team with the amount of people opting out from the Patriots, I still think they have a chance at the division, oddly enough. I'm gonna go Patriots in the hopes that I'm totally wrong. I do think this is a long game of the Patriots might lose a lot this season and tank so that they can get Trevor Lawrence from Clemson. I hope they finish middle of the road so they don't get Trevor Lawrence and then they don't go to the playoffs. Who do you see coming out of the AFC North winning that division? It's got to be the Ravens. Lamar Jackson's a bona fide superstar. Lost Earl Thomas due to him being a locker room problem. But I don't think that losing him causes any problems for the Ravens. Lamar Jackson's too good. Their running game is devastating, especially with the addition of J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, and then Lamar Jackson as well. I, I see them probably as a first-round buy again this year. Yeah, it's it's tough arguing against the likes of what Lamar Jackson did last season for the Ravens and honestly how he looked just like a video game player out there. I hate saying it because probably one of my favorite AFC teams, if not my favorite AFC team, would have to be the Steelers. It's just they've had weird years the past two, three seasons, I would have to say, with just a lot of off-field, off-the-field stuff going on. So, but yeah, you just can't compete against Lamar Jackson. If he plays like he did last season, it's going to be really hard to pick anybody out of this. Now, I am excited to see this conference kind of see where it goes because, you know, you have Burrow coming in for the Bengals. Of course, you have the Browns with their big names yet still not performing super-duper hot. Um, and, I mean, you can never count out the Steelers. They always find a way to win. They're, this conference is like a very nitty-gritty conference, and teams will, you know, duke it out till the end. But, yeah, again, I just go back to the fact that Lamar Jackson's basically a cheat code on the field for the Ravens. So. I'd have to go with the Ravens out of this one. Do you see Ben Roethlisberger returning to form after all the injury issues he's been dealing with last year? With everything injury-wise and, you know, all the -the off-the-field stuff that he deals with, which feels like year in, year out, honestly, I don't see him returning to, you know, prime Ben Roethlisberger form. The Steelers may be getting second place in in the division, maybe trying to fighting for a wild card spot. I just don't see them you know, winning the division. Heading to the AFC South, who do you got, Ronnie? This one's a little tough just because I feel like every season a new team kind of comes out of this region, or this division, I should say. Initially, I want to say the Texans because Watson and they made the playoffs last year. But I I don't want to cut out uh, Minshew, man. You know, the Jaguars. The Jaguars? Yeah, maybe making a... Taking... Turning a new, turning a new page, because I don't really think the Colts are really much since Andrew Luck left. Titans could be here and there, but you just got to go with the stash, man. Like, the, the more, <laughs> All right, the, the the jean shorts, like that man is the the epitome of cool right now, right? Like he he really looks like a man out of coming out of the wrong era. Like he really should have been playing in the NFL, maybe like in the eighties. He would have fit in perfectly. But I think it would be exciting to see the Jaguars pull something in this division. That that was fresh because in my head, I see it as a three-horse race between the Texans, Titans, and Colts. Um, I totally ruled out the Jaguars. If you believe in the stash, man, that's all, that's all you need. <laughs> Even after all the boneheaded acquisitions that Bill O'Brien has done in his time in Houston, I still think the Texans with Deshaun Watson are the strongest team out of the South. Uh, Phil Rivers, I don't know how well he'll mesh into the Colts system. I'm kind of iffy on how well they'll do. I think they'll stay around par of 8-8, eight and 7-9. Eight, and nine. For me, the Titans are the weirdest team to think about. Last year, they played like a run-heavy college team. 
they were run first, pass later. You had Tannehill who would finish a game with like 100 passing yards. And then Derrick Henry would have 160 rushing yards. I, I don't know. They're just a weird team to think about. They lost a couple key players to free agency on their defense. I don't trust Tannehill enough to lead a team to win the division. So I'm going to go with the Texans. Moving on to the AFC West. Chiefs. Who do you have coming out of this one? Chiefs. <laughs> Patrick <laughs> Mahomes. That is all. The Broncos look to be setting up their new quarterback, Drew. He seems to be their guy. I think they can make a wild card shot, but I don't think they're toppling anything from the Chiefs. Even with the elite pass rush they have in Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, back healthy, Chiefs are too good. As long as you have Patrick Mahomes on the field, you have a chance. You can't argue against Mahomes and the fact that he proved himself. It would be a travesty to pick anybody other than the Chiefs coming out of this division. In my opinion, they're probably going to run away with it in the division, maybe even the conference. <laughs> if they play the way they did last year, which I think they will, you you can't really hate the Chiefs. You know, I'm thinking about it, like I don't hate the Chiefs. Like I enjoy watching the Chiefs play. It's not like I'm watching the Patriots and I'm like, oh god, here we go again, like another year. But watching the Chiefs play was entertaining. Are they the next dynasty? Too early to tell, I want to say. I think with Mahomes, where he is, that's a good starting spot. I don't know. I think only time will tell. I think they have the pieces to allow that to happen. It just kind of depends on, are they going to come back this season and maybe hit a slump and be like, man, we were so good last year and now we're kind of struggling. It'll really kind of depend on how they come in and if they hold that swagger that they had, then I think it could be. After a Super Bowl winning season... It's always tough to pay all of your players because you, you give extensions to people that helped you win your title. And that's true across all sports. And so they definitely did that by offering the half billion dollars to Patrick Mahomes. And then Travis Kelsey was locked up in a, an extension that also breaks the bank around four years, six, $60 million for a tight end. The cap space issue might be the thing that kills them in the future for the draft. They had they were $20,000 away. So they could have even signed one more undrafted free agent for all the recent roster cuts. So I think in the long term, the cap space might kill them. Having Mahomes on your team, I, I feel like, puts you in the driver's seat to become the next dynasty. What do you see from the NFC East, Ronnie? Tried and true Dallas fan for life. Um, I'd ha I have to go with the boys, man, the Cowboys, America's team, it hurts because we're probably going to be average, maybe hopefully above average. But we did pay Dak his money. I'm hoping he repays the favor and gives us consistent wins and consistent performances because we're paying him like a top-tier quarterback now, like he wanted. I'm expecting good things out of the Cowboys this year. With Dak rejecting that long-term contract, and basically being forced into the franchise tag, which means he's there for one year and he gets paid like a top 10 quarterback. So I think $34 million is still very steep for Dak, even if it's only on a one-year franchise tag. He's going to regret not accepting that 150 mil that they offered him. I don't think he's a top five quarterback. I think Dak gets a lot of his stats. Then you can throw as many passing yards as he had last year and how many passing touchdowns he had. How many of those were meaningful, right? How many of those were in situations where they were to tie the game or to take the lead? All those games where he went off, quote-unquote, where they were in slop time. They were down big, and they were just hurling things deep. Michael Gallup, that was where he got the bulk of his... If you look at him under a microscope in crunch time, I just don't see him as the quarterback who's going to take you to a Super Bowl. And if I'm paying you $34 million in one year, you should be taking me to a Super Bowl. From the NFC East, I've always had a trouble predicting the NFC East when it comes to the Cowboys and Eagles. And I don't know what it is about the NFC East that it just feels so random some years. This year, I'm going to say I'm going to go with Cowboys on this one. I'm probably going to be wrong because the NFC East is always so weird to me. How about them Cowboys? What do you see from the NFC North? I used to think this was just like a 
put all the names in a in a hat right and just pick one year in year out other than maybe the Packers. I have to go with the Vikings. They they did really well last season. Do you see Aaron yeah, Rodgers just, declining or improving from last year? I think Rodgers hit his peak. I think he might be on the the downtrend of his career and I think with I don't know if with all the new staff changes that they've had, maybe he might find a resurgence. I just don't see the Packers being as dominant. Yeah, last year it felt like the first year that the Packers had a running game. Aaron Jones just blew up in 1,200 yards, I think 10 touchdowns. You could see how Rodgers played a little bit better, knowing that he didn't have to carry the entire offense, hence the 13-3 and record they had. I also like the Vikings this year. I am not a firm believer in Kirk Cousins, especially when it comes to facing winning teams. He did show up last year in the playoffs against the Saints, and he did well when he had to which is what his biggest doubter said. That paired with the acquisitions they've made over offseason, I think the Vikings have built a very solid team when it comes to giving it to Dalvin Cook. Did lose Stephon Diggs, which I think does hurt a lot. I think they got a lot for him. I think that if the way that they repaired their defense, they added another pass rusher in Yannick Ngakwe. He's coming off a 12.5 sack season, so elite pass rush and their shutdown secondary, they're going to be a tough team to beat. And I think this year that the Packers might actually fall to the Vikings. And I, But I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be like one of them is 12-4, one of them is 11-5. Interchange them. The Bears, they're still relying on Trubisky. They just named him the starter over Nick Foles. So I think they're going to struggle again. With the, Matt Stafford back, uh, he was playing at a very elite level last year. I'm not a firm believer in Matt, what Matt Patricia's doing just yet. He seems to be kind of taking the formula from the Patriots and just sign all old Patriots players, which I don't know if that's an effective strategy considering that's what the Dolphins do, that's what the Giants do. So I don't know if that's the right format you want to be modeling your team after. I know the Patriots are always good, and so signing their players must must be good, right? I don't think the Lions are ready to take over the division just yet, even with a healthy Matt Stafford. Who would you say? So you're between the Vikings and Packers. The Packers, and you said they're interchangeable. Yeah, I think those two teams are. I mean, at least one's going to get a wild card spot. Moving on to another NFC division, NFC South. We have the Falcons, Panthers, Saints, and Buccaneers. Who that going to beat them, Saints? I'm I'm a huge Drew Brees fan. I've loved the Saints. They have such a solid team. They got two running backs in Kamara and Latavius Murray. They have the best receiver in the league in Michael Thomas. And they have a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees. I think Saints still got the division. I know Tampa Bay's made a lot of acquisitions. I just think the Saints are still a solid team. Sean Payne's an amazing head coach. They already struggled against the Buccaneers in years past, but I think... That was just because the Buccaneers are typically the foil to the Saints, and the Saints are the hero of our story, right? If they can just have one pass interference that's reviewable go their way in the playoffs, I think they can eventually pull it off. Unfortunately, they do rely on those ref calls in big situations, which I feel like has always been their downfall, is they don't play well enough until they absolutely have to. I still think that they're one of the elite teams in the NFC. They're on a mission to win a Super Bowl. You know, I want to hop on the wagon of the the newfound Bucks under Brady and all their acquisitions, but for sure the Saints are possibly the most established and consistent team in this division. Um, I think the Saints at home are a scary team to play against. Also, as much as I want you know to hop on that wagon of you know let's let's go Bucks, let's see what they can do. With Brady at the helm, I just think the consistency and how established the Saints are in staffs and players, that run game that they have with Kamara being solid, I just think the Saints, by by just a little bit, are definitely at the top of that division. So maybe, you know, with the Falcons and Bucks kind of coming up here and there, peeking their heads, I just I just see the, the Saints being the most established team in that division for sure. I think the Buccaneers are going to experience some growing pains, especially considering the amount of new acquisitions they've had. I think it's going to take them a few games before they find their role. So 
Uh, when in terms of the regular season, that's that's kind of why I give the division to the Saints. Uh, but don't be surprised from the Falcons this year. They had a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of injuries last year that really hurt their defense and their O-line, which are kind of the most important in terms of consistency game to game. Don't sleep on the Falcons this year. They got Todd Gurley now at running back, who gives them a more dynamic weapon in terms of receptions out of the backfield. Don't sleep on the Falcons, but I definitely think the Saints still have this division. Now, heading out west, last division left. Who wins the NFC West? My gut's telling me the Rams. This one I kind of struggle with picking one, and uh, it might seem a little weird to say, I guess. But I, I just have to go with the Rams here. They've found a resurgence since they moved to L.A. and Jared Goff. They're just a scary team, I mean, on the offensive side of the ball. Compared to the other teams, I want to say the Rams for me. So you think last year was just kind of uh, some growing pains then? Yeah, I think it was, what what do they say, the the sophomore slump, maybe, Mm -hmm. that uh, Goff went through. I definitely do think they'll find their groove again. So I want to say the L.A. Rams. I feel like the NFC West is going to be the toughest division this year if the Rams play up to par. Uh, They do have the best pass rusher in the league in Aaron Donald and one of the best corners in Jalen Ramsey. I was very, very shocked to see the 49ers as good as they were last year. It kind of showed how Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't know if he has the talent to be able to carry a team in crunch time. I think since their team is so focused on beating you with the run, I think when it comes down to those late game scenarios where you need to throw the ball, I just don't know if the 49ers have the legs to continue to dominate as they did last year. Um, especially losing defensive tackle DeForest Buckner, trading him to the Colts. I think that this year is the Seahawks to win. They just got Jamal Adams from the Jets, who's an elite strong safety. I think that they're with Chris Carson at a running back, if he's healthy, and Russell Wilson, who's number three quarterback in the league, we're going to see a down, a little bit of a decline from the 49ers, which isn't hard considering how well they did last year. But I think that this this is the year that the Seahawks jump back on top. We have to bring up the you just mentioned them, the Tampa Bay Bucks. All the new acquisitions, they might be the new kid on the block. They have to be the new kid on the block, right? Like you have Brady. He's like the coolest kid of them all. <laughs> <laughs> I know you mentioned earlier there might be some growing pains, which is why you didn't choose them to win the division. Do you see them making a splash? Do you see them maybe taking Tampa Bay for them? than most expect. What do you you see coming out of of them this year? We were able to see Brady last year, and he didn't look quite like himself. He kind of was starting to get exposed in how much he relies on short passes to beat you on defense. And I think with Tampa Bay's receivers and the people they have around there, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, those are deep threat guys. Whenever you watch Jameis Winston play with the Buccaneers, he was always hurling it downfield. Bruce Arians, he loves the deep ball. That's always been his thing. That's how he helped Carson Palmer regain his form in Arizona. I don't know if Brady and Arians are honestly the perfect combo just because of how different they've played over their time in the NFL. I think there there will be growing pains for sure. I'm expecting like a nine and seven season, maybe scratching into the wild card at ten and six. For some reason, I don't see them splashing into fourteen and two or anything crazy. I don't see them being the number one and NFC. Doesn't convince me. They do have elite linebacking talent in Devin White and Levante David, but outside of that, they do have elite pass rusher in Shaq Barrett, but their secondary is pretty weak. And their O-line is very meh. I'm not buying 100% into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So what would this podcast be without talking about Messi for an episode? We're going to check in on how that's going with Barcelona. His camp and his agencies have agreed that the clause in his contract does not count in terms of his 700 million euro, 892 million dollar release clause is valid. Now, Barcelona has come out and said that that release clause is valid. 
La Liga itself has also agreed that this release clause is valid, which realistically this would this would block any transfer, right? Man City's been reported to be ready to pay for that, but realistically, you're paying one billion dollars for one player. If he's able to leave for free, that'd be a lot easier. Is Barcelona right for holding Messi hostage at Barcelona? I feel like I'm in a really tough spot, right? Being a uh, huge Barcelona fan, being a huge Messi fan individually, separately, together, whatever. Like, a hostage feels a little extreme, maybe, in my eyes. Do I think Barcelona and just La Liga and... Do I think they definitely used everything they could to hold them there? For sure, right? Like, the clause is almost a billion dollars just for one player alone. I definitely think they used that against him to keep him there. I was reading an article basically stating that Messi would would never want to go to court against Barcelona, right? I think it's just the, that tie that he has is the fact that he's been at the club since he was... 12, 13 years old, you know, raised him in Barcelona, made him somewhat into who he is, right? He probably just realized with some advising that it's better that he just completes his contract, you know, one more year, and then Barcelona and La Liga can't use the clause against him. They can't use the fact that he still has a year left on his contract, right? So I think he's going to weather the storm. He's going to you know, put his head down and go to work and play for Barcelona and give it his all. But I do believe that after this next year and his contract is over and it's completed, that he's definitely going to go back out onto the, to the market, right? And I think that's when we might see the, the whole messy transfer saga continue, except this time without an almost $1 billion clause or the possibility of Barcelona and Messi going to court against each other. So he came out in an interview. Yeah, it was an interview. I think it was like goal.com, I want to say. Okay, and you watched the interview, right? What did you make of what he had to say? I do believe it was like a genuine take, right? Like I think this was definitely Messi with his emotions out and being genuine with the fact that he is staying at Barcelona for another year. I think he realizes how important it is for him to kind of not caught behind the headlines of everything, right? So I think he realized the importance of him going out and having this interview done and basically stating he was going to stay till his contract is completed. Now, do I believe that he is upset with the club? For sure. He talks about, you know, the club heartbreak of the 8-2 defeat and his unhappiness with the president, right? So he definitely shows the the bad side of it. It's not just, oh my God, I'm going to stay. I'm, you know, I'm keeping my talent at Barcelona. It's more of like, yeah, I might not be where I want it to be, but I do love this club at the end of the day. This club has basically raised me since I was a child. He almost feels this attachment to complete his contract. And if he is to leave the club, really just kind of leave it on a, on a good note, right? Not on a $1 billion clause and the potential of him having to go to court to get out of his contract and just kind of having it be a, a messy breakup. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't even try to make that pun. Honestly, <laughs> no, I think about it. Make it such a bad, I guess, breakup, right? So I, I definitely see both sides and you can kind of see the, the tear in his heart a little bit. I do think he's a little relieved that he's staying and hopefully putting an end to this whole saga of leaving and keeping his fans on edge. I just think it's it's definitely tough on him. So it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how he bounces back mentally and how he kind of his personality will show. I guess in the locker room this upcoming season, with a lot of players potentially leaving and some staying out of the fact that he's staying. At the end of the day, I am happy that he's staying. At this point, I'm just ready for it to stop taking over headlines. I don't want it to be a drawn out, messy breakup. It's tough being a Barcelona fan these days. I guess. All right, now it's time for the hot takes. With Chelsea acquiring $200 million worth of players in Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech, Thiago Silva, Ben Chilwell, and Kai Havertz, they will win the Premier League title. Rate that take. That's a pretty hot 
take, you know, you put the you put the coffee to your tongue and it and it burns it really quickly and you kinda of take it away. <laughs> but then you can't have eat to your say breakfast the same. Exactly, and your tongue kinda is of burnt a little bit. I wouldn't go as far as saying they're gonna win the Premier League. I definitely think they have the pieces to get them to the get them to that point. I think Chelsea will be a scary team with Frank Lampard at the helm and dude, they they get Thiago Silva, right? An experienced center back on a free transfer. Werner on the attack with Christian Pulisic up top, Ben Chilwell basically next to Thiago Silva, and Kai Havertz in the middle to facilitate and feed the ball up top. That just seems like a very, very well-rounded team. Easily, I think this bumps them into the top three, and with the threat of being a team to be up there with Man City and Liverpool, and having, you know, the Chelsea versus Liverpool game being a bit, an important date, the Man City versus Chelsea game being an important date could catapult them into being a Champions League contender again. I think it's an, I think it's a really hot take, but I think it's, it's not that far away. I just don't think they're going to win it just yet. Yeah, I think they're going to be good. I just don't see them winning at all because spending $200 million on a bunch of players isn't guaranteed success. You don't know if they're going to mesh well with the other players. I think they already had a solid developing core with Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount and Pulisic. So I felt like adding a few players to that would would have been good. Ben Chilwell would have been a great, he's a great addition and replacement at left back. Getting Werner for more attacking options is always good. Havertz is going to be a superstar one day, so you should probably remember his name. He took the Bundesliga by storm. Hakem Zayesh kind of felt like a Willian replacement. Thiago Silva just feels like they ran out of options to purchase center backs. So I don't feel like all of these players will necessarily mesh with the rest of the squad. Okay, so there was a hashtag trending on Twitter this past week of hashtag Madden Drop EA because fans are sick and tired of a $60 roster update is what they're calling the game. Of they don't add anything different it's not as crisp as it could be they feel like the amount of money that consumers spend on madden that ea sports should not be allowed to continue to make it the reason fans are saying this is because the fans that are generated in the game um, they zoomed in on one of the scoreboards that it's harder to see but if you zoom in on one of those really small scoreboards it said 2017 on it. So they haven't changed the fans since 2017 in-game. With the new modes they tried to put out this year with Face of the Franchise, where you create your own player and you play as a quarterback, running back, or receiver, you play high school, college, and pro, it was the most glitchy thing that I have personally played through in my life. They tried to make like cutscenes of you with your NFL jersey on, and you're supposed to be in a locker room with people with their NFL jerseys on. But for some reason, my game didn't load any of the other jerseys, so there everyone was just wearing generic like white jerseys, and then I was wearing like an NFL jersey. The issues with franchise mode, the issues with the fans are just sick and tired of the same thing every year of. Welcome to Madden. The rosters are updated, which you paid $60 for, for a new game. And then that's kind of it. And this year, especially, they felt like they just kind of handed consumers an unfinished product. What I tend to do with, you know, games like Madden, NBA 2K, FIFA, I'll purchase, for example, let's say I purchased the 2020 version of the game i'm probably not going to purchase the next one till it's like 2023 2022 i try not to go year in year out just because most of the time it's nothing game breaking or game changing and a lot of these games you can just get the like the roster update through their servers and you have the same players on the correct teams you know in the correct positions so I enjoy playing as a GM, right? That's always been kind of my secret dream job, right? Is to be a general manager of a team. I, I'm, I love making trades, sign, signing free agents, making the best team I can, 
and then playing with that team, see if I can win the championship. I've always been into that. So to be able to do that, I need a roster update, right? And doing a manual roster update, which personally I have actually done, and it was a pain. Like I say, it it takes a good couple of afternoons if you want to do it completely. The fact that a whole company that develops this game has a whole year to work on it, and they just update the rosters, and they don't update the parts of the game that need to be updated. At one point in my game, when I was playing with my quarterback, I got drafted by the Bears. I was trying to play with my quarterback, and then for some reason, in the middle of the game, all my players switched character models. When I was snapping the ball, I was the tight end. And then my lead receiver turned into an offensive lineman. You've had the rights to this game for how long? And you're putting out an unfinished product? That just doesn't, it just doesn't feel right. And I understand why the Madden community is frustrated by it. EA needs to fix Madden. This week, we submitted a couple fan questions on our Instagram. And I got a couple responses, and so we're going to answer those for us. Is Ryan submitted a couple questions. He wanted to know, who has been the best transfer move in the Premier League thus far? For me, it would probably be somewhere like a player that Chelsea might have gotten. I think Kai Havertz is huge for Chelsea. I think he adds a lot of midfield midfield depth onto their roster to facilitate and feed into Pulisic, Tommy Abraham, Mason Mount. So I would have to say for me, it would have to be Kai Havertz and Chelsea. I would say that because I do believe that he is going to be a superstar that we're talking about for years to come. I also think they paid a lot of money for him. And I think he has his dream set on even bigger clubs, such as Real Madrid, Bayern. If they can only keep him for... A few years, I think that's a really large price tag to put on him. They spent, I think, 80 million euros. The most impactful move of the transfer window so far has been Nathan Ake because Man City desperately needed a second defender uh, alongside Emmerich Laporte, and they have a solid ball-playing defender now. And he's played in the Premier League. He can bring you solid, consistent defense that they've been missing for a good good year or two now, ever since Vincent Kompany left. So I think Nathan Ake would be the most impactful, and he might even push Man City to the point where they are Liverpool-esque. Another one from Ryan. With one month left in the transfer window, who is the most desperate to make a move in the Premier League? The most desperate, I would have to go with Leicester. They've been pretty quiet in the transfer window. They need to start filling those those holes, right? Ben Chilwell's gone. Who would you say? It's going to be my boys at Tottenham. They have picked up Pierre-Emile Hoshbeard and Matt Doherty. So Hoshbeard's a midfielder from Southampton. Doherty's for a right back. who they, They've been trying to sell their current right back in Serge Aurier. So they picked up Doherty from Wolves to finally have a starting right back because they haven't really had one since they let Kyrian Trippier leave. Um, they let him leave and they didn't really have anyone to take over for him, which wasn't really smart. But I think that Tottenham, based on what we saw from them last season, they have so many injury issues and people who are injury prone that something's got to change with them. Definition of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting different results. So I think that Tottenham definitely needs to, might want to be in the market for a right winger, possibly another defender since Jan Vertonghen left. And Ben Davies is a solid left back, but doesn't hurt to potentially get a better one. So at this point, I do think Tottenham is the most desperate to make a move. Now, they are the most strict when it comes to transfers and how they value those transfers. Um, They're very much penny pinchers. Will they? Probably not. If they want to qualify for the Champions League next year, then they need to make a transfer now. All right, now it's time for our favorite headline. Ronnie, what you got for me? This week, professional baseball, the Colorado Rockies, they lost 23-5. to The reason I sent you this headline is because of what they tweeted out after their loss. So already, right, that's a, that's a 
that's a terrible loss. I wouldn't even say pretty bad. That is just a horrific, embarrassing loss. Their Twitter account tweeted out, and I quote, We typically have positive and, and encouraging words when tweeting the final score after losses or some kind of clever approach. Not tonight. We lost 23 to 5. It sucked. Good night. <laughs> I just, I just think that's the perfect tweet. Oh, you know, man. when you just get defeated and beat into the ground, there's nothing else you can say. Like, you just have to take your L and, and keep moving, right? Yeah, you can just hear the pain in their voice. Since all of these messy rumors have been flying around, it would cost around 900 million euros to purchase Messi from Barcelona and then additional money to fund his contract. So one German fellow started an online fundraiser for VFB Stuttgart, recently promoted to the Bundesliga, to purchase him. And last I checked, they were 400... 20 euros in only 899 million to go <laughs> so i mean that's hopeful thinking at the very least i hope those people who donate to get their money back because i don't think that's ever going to come to fruition yeah i don't know where that goes i wonder what the count is at now after he announced that he's staying at barcelona because that's <laughs> going to be very interesting another headline this week that we found adam yaya toure X, what Man City player, Ivory Coast, pretty well known in, in, in soccer to say the least. He got dropped from a charity match after offering to hire 19 prostitutes for his teammates in a public group chat. What do we think? <laughs> Smart move? Bad move? It's not even like a real match either. He got dropped from a charity match. Oh my god. That's a lesson to be careful what you post, kids? I don't. <laughs> Maybe not offer your 19 teenage prostitutes. I don't know. Or at least not in a public group chat. I, yeah, I don't right, care what like, you're doing in front of time. Just, just don't do it publicly. Man. Hey, man, guess... he took charity to the next level, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we wrap it up, everybody. Thank you. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Well, that's all the time we have today, guys. Thank you so much for stopping by. Common Fan Commentary is available on Spotify, Google Play, and Podomatic. Be sure to subscribe, leave a like. Let us know what you think on our Instagram. We often post news updates and polls. If you want your question in on the next podcast, be sure to comment uh, and stay tuned for next episode as well. We will catch y'all next time. Peace out.